Uh, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? All right. Loud crowd at 10 a.m. I love it. My name is Taylor. I am the associate dramaturge here for NextFest. Uh, so that means I work with playwrights and help uh, develop plays. And that's what this reading today is all about. So the play you're going to hear is Kathy, written and read by Aaron Vandermolen Van Pater. And uh, the stage directions today will be re uh, read by Chet Archbold. And uh, following the, uh, come on in, uh, following the, uh, the reading today, there'll be a little talk back. Um, Aaron has some questions, and I'll lead the talk back a little bit. We'll facilitate facilitate a bit of a discussion to talk a bit about the play and uh, what y'all heard. Um, it's a chance to get some feedback uh, to help uh, Aaron take this play to the next step because that's what NextFest is all about, and that's what these readings are all, all about: is helping the playwright uh, take this to the next place that they'd like to uh, take it. Uh, so, without further ado, I'll bring up Aaron and Chet, and I'll uh, get started with the play. Thanks so much. New Year's Eve, 1804. A dark room with a windowsill surrounded by cushions. A pile of books sits on the win windowsill and on the floor nearby. A scratching is heard as if from the window. A voice cries, let me in. I lost my way on the moors. 20 years. I've been a waif for 20 years. Let me in. Oh, let me in. Kathy enters with a lantern. Dim lights come up on stage. There is the sound of a party and people's voices echoing up from downstairs whenever the door is open. Is someone here? Hello? Huh. I assumed everyone was still downstairs enjoying the party, but I could have sworn. Clearly no one's been in here. In fact, even I haven't been in this room since Mr. Heathcliff was alive. Too many ghosts here. Must have been them calling for me. She turns to leave but then turns back and looks around the room, closing the door behind her. I can't go back down there. I just need a moment to myself. She moves further into the room, looking around. I had forgotten. This room is almost lovely if you look past the bed sheets and the dust covering everything. My mother used to play in here as a child when she wasn't running amok out in the moors. Being in this place, I can almost picture her like a mirror image of myself when I was young, although she had darker hair and likely cared far less for her appearance. She had her moments of vanity, I'm sure. Moments where she wanted to make an impression on father, or moments when he encouraged her to dress up for some occasion or other. I suppose those are just the same reasons as I have for dressing up tonight. An anniversary, a New Year's Eve party all in one. It makes me miss father, terribly. We didn't go to many parties or dances or social occasions as I was growing up, but when we did, I felt so proud to enter the room on his arm and then do my best to keep him on the dance floor all night. He would become sulky and withdrawn when left on his own, missing mother once again. But if I could just keep him dancing. I swear half the town is here tonight for the occasion. Maybe it was just an excuse to spy on how we fixed this old house up. I don't think that it's been used for a social event since my grandparents lived here. Or perhaps for mother and father's wedding party ages ago. Well, I think we've managed to wake this place up now. Scared most of the ghosts away, if not the stubborn spirits hiding away up here. The main floor looks stunning tonight. Dried wildflower petals strewn about everywhere and bunches of them on all the tables to remind us of summer. 
ribbons wrapped around banisters and doorways, bits of lace placed all over, and our marriage portrait newly placed above the mantel. People milling about, singing and dancing and eating. What a feast. Everyone seems to be enjoying themselves immensely, and my darling Hareton has been smiling and laughing so that I fear he'll hurt his poor cheeks. Of course, I've been trying to enjoy myself too, but I only wish these things didn't run on the way they do. I've been downstairs entertaining for hours on end, hardly getting a moment to just stand and look and admire the life we've made over the past year. We've worked so hard, but now it feels as if there's no time at all to rest. And goodness, my feet, my legs, my whole body was starting to ache. Oh, and this dress, what a costume. Pins in my hair and tight shoes on my feet. I wish I could just rip it all off. It would be quite the finale to the party at any rate. And the people from Gimmerton. They are all so dull. Well, no, I shouldn't generalize. The ones I attract for conversation are dull. Oh, Miss Catherine, or should I say Mrs. Earnshaw? My, a whole year, really. Why, I remember when your mother lived here. Oh, the poor woman. We all expected so much from her marriage to your father, but then... Ah, well, bless her. Happy New Year, indeed. They are either gossips or bores. They drawl on about the weather, which is nearly always the same, or haven't they noticed? It's been quite a nice year, hasn't it? But then, shame about all the rain. I must be tired. I'm moody, though I suppose I have another reason for that. I should get back downstairs before Hareton realizes I'm gone. He would find it very strange to spy me lurking around in here. I've been touchy about us doing anything with this old room. She hesitates by the door, but doesn't exit. Instead, she walks further into the room, kicking at pillows and looking around before approaching the window and the pile of books. She flips through, opening one or two, then putting them down until she finally picks up the diary. She puts a lantern down and picks up the book, crouching on the floor to read using the lantern's light. Catherine Earnshaw, Catherine Linton, Catherine Heathcliff. Catherine Heathcliff. It's my mother's diary. Her name in its many incarnations. Her childhood name, Earnshaw, which I've now reclaimed through marriage. My father's name, Linton. And then his. Heathcliff. Catherine Heathcliff. A name she never owned in life. Here it is again. Catherine Heathcliff. It's been written down far more often than the others. Does that show where her loyalty really lay? Is it possible to be haunted by someone you never even met? She died giving birth to me, or just after, but I feel my mother's presence all the time. She has been surrounding me my whole life, in my father's stories, in Heathcliff's cruel treatment, perhaps in my very nature. There's a fire in me that was not given to me by my father, the gentle Edgar Linton. It's been growing stronger, too, especially for the last few weeks, ever since my little outing to see the doctor in Gimmerton. I've always felt sure this feeling came from her, for all the good it did her. She reads from the diary, getting into the character of young Kathy. Do you remember Father Heathcliff? I remember when he first brought you home to us. A rotten, dirty little boy you were. At first I disliked you immensely, 
but I suppose my curiosity was stronger in the end. It was great fun getting into trouble, wasn't it? Although I did feel sorry that we grieved poor father so, staying outside all day, running wild and wreaking havoc amongst the household staff. The servant, Joseph, used to grumble or rant at us, quoting the Bible and calling us demons and rogues. Our maid put up with us, but only barely. She flips ahead in the book. Do you remember the last words father ever said to me? He was sitting on the floor, I was sitting on the floor, and he on a chair, and I had my head in his lap. He was stroking my hair, and I remember so clearly he said, Why canst thou not always be a good lass, Cathy? And I replied, Why cannot you always be a good man, father? Our last words before I sang him to sleep. Sang him to death, although I didn't realize it until we were ordered to our beds much later, and I tried to kiss him goodnight. Sleep, sleep, the pillow is soft and deep. Sleep, 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 your father's near so, don't you weep. Sleep, I wonder if that's the one. My father would occasionally, very occasionally, sing that to me before bed, on those nights when he was willing to speak about her. He had mentioned that it was she who introduced the melody to him. I can't remember many of the other verses, but on our sillier nights we would make up our own lyrics. Sleep, sleep, the puppies are piled in a heap. Sleep, 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 good night to the horses and sheep. Sleep. It was a rare moment of laughter between the two of us. He was just so sad all the time, or much of the time. But he loved me, and he made my life as joyful as he could. She returns to the diary. One day... Soon after father's death, we crept over to Thrushcross Grange and there saw little Edgar and Isabella Linton arguing over a dog. Little did we know. Now, this one I know. Father told me this story. It's one of very few I heard about her. I wonder when she wrote this, the story of how they first met. In running away from the house, after being heard by somebody inside, my mother fell and hurt her ankle. Or was it the dog catching her foot? Regardless, she was unable to run any further than the front gate, and so was caught. But then they recognized her and brought her inside the house, and she stayed with them for a time, getting to know father. He loved those days. Kathy, your mother was so lively, so fierce, I loved her instantaneously. How could I not? She must have written this later then. Perhaps after she came back to the Heights between her first temporary stay at the Grange and her permanent move there when she married father. From everything I've heard, the late Catherine Linton was passionate and wild and terribly unhappy for much of her short life. Although my father tried his best, I think he was aware of how tenuous her contentment was with him. I don't know. Maybe they were genuinely happy for a short time. He never spoke much of her. The occasional story, wistfully told on days when the wind was blowing hard over the moors between our home at Thrushcross Grange and here at the Heights. But he loved her. So very much. Tragic. All three of them. Father, mother, and Heathcliff. But then Heathcliff seemed to bring tragedy with him wherever he traveled. I hate him. Even still, I hate him for what he did to us. I'm aware that he and mother were friends once, 
which made him and father rivals, naturally. Imagine, my father, so kind, so clever, so generous and worldly, pitted against that monstrous man as his romantic competition. For he was monstrous, Heathcliff. The sort of man to kick a defenseless puppy or drown kittens in a pond. That's horrible. Oh, that's an awful thing to say. Not that it's incorrect, mind, but even so. I haven't had much cause to think on him since his death. Just about two years ago now, I think. But now here he is, on these pages, and still haunting this room. It's exactly like when he was alive, stalking through this house, making us all prisoners to his temper and his rules. I shouldn't have come in here. It's all dust and bad memories. She puts down the book on the windowsill, picks up a lantern, and gets up to leave. She makes it to the door, then looks back tiredly. I just... I wish I knew why any of them did what they did. What compelled Heathcliff to be so violent and cruel and controlling? What caused Mother to be so wild and so discontent with life at the Grange? And why did Father get himself into the whole mess? Why did he put up with an unsatisfied wife and a petulant and inhuman rival? And what does it mean for me? That I have some combination of these traits within my mind and body. I know I have her willful spirit, but surely not her discontent. What have I to be discontent about? Hareton and I are happy here at Wuthering Heights. We've built a life for ourselves away from the tragedy of our family's histories, which is all either of us ever wanted. To make a life of our own, unaccountable to anyone but ourselves. And each other, I suppose. And our future family. Sometimes I know how she must have felt, being cooped up in our home at Thrushcross Grange, when all she wanted was the moors and the heights and the wind in her hair. And between our wedding last New Year and cleaning this old house up so that it no longer resembled the prison Hareton and I both once knew it to be, there's been no time for running amuck in the fields. I haven't felt wind in my hair for who knows how long, I've fallen rather easily into the task of keeping up a household and playing wife. And I've enjoyed it. I have. I've enjoyed it. It's just... I don't know. I get frustrated. I feel angry and depressed and trapped and... unsatisfied. Discontent. Yes. There it is. There's Catherine's discontentment. Thinking back on it now, I suppose I've lived with discontentment for most of my life. Born into it, and I haven't noticed it at all until now. I suppose dissatisfaction can become just another bad habit. Mostly unnoticed, but near impossible to break through. Thank you, Mother. I have this fantastic gift of a husband, and a home, and a life I've made for myself, including all the things I've always loved, and yet some sense of freedom is missing. Yes, that's the thing, freedom. What Catherine always wanted but deprived herself of. I can't say that father deprived her of it, for if that was what she told him she wanted, he surely would have given it to her. He would have given her the whole wide world, but instead of telling him, she jailed herself in their home and deprived herself of the life she always wanted. I'm sure that's what killed her in the end. 
and that's why father felt so guilty. He knew that he wasn't what she wanted. Maybe. Can I know that's how it was when I wasn't there, and he told me little or nothing about it? I can only assume, and perhaps take something from her own words. Over at Thrushcross Grange, there is always plenty of light and warmth. They keep a fire burning in the parlor at all hours of the day, and often, it seems, nighttime as well. Their puppies are purebred and kept in the house for playing, versus the mutts at the heights who are constantly being ordered about by Joseph, which has turned them into awful boars and demons. And you know what? As silly as their games are, I enjoy the company of Edgar and Isabella. They are treated like young royalty by their parents and the servants in the house, and I was given the same by them and by everyone else around me. I confess, I've always had a bit of vanity in being treated that way. Anyway, Mr. and Mrs. Linton were obviously not very fond of poor Heathcliff. They didn't want him anywhere near their precious Edgar and Isabella and sent him away, back home to the Heights, without me. And believe me, I would have gone as well if only it were not for the injury their mutt did to my ankle. There, so it was the dog. So I stayed, and I enjoyed it. And is that really so much of a crime? I don't understand why Heathcliff has been acting so cold to me ever since I got back. He's hardly spoken a word to me at all and seems gloomier than ever. Silly Catherine. She flips forward a few pages. I'm very unhappy. Today, Edgar asked me to marry him, and I've given him an answer. I accepted him. Was I wrong? He is handsome and he is pleasant to be with. He is young and cheerful and he loves me, and he will be rich. And I shall like to be the greatest woman in the neighborhood, and I shall be proud of having such a husband. I love the ground under his feet and the air over his head, and everything he touches and every word he says. I love all his looks and all his actions and him entirely and altogether. I've seen no men like Edgar. Oh, mother, what a thing to write. I only pray these shallow thoughts deepened in your marriage, although I'm sure they did not. Did father know? He must have known mother's feelings for Heathcliff, or at least had an idea of them. But did he ever doubt her love for him? Did he ever question her reasons for loving him? Because clearly they were less than satisfactory, vain, self-centered. It almost seems as if she was just trying to upset Heathcliff by denying the lesser life he would have provided for her. Or maybe it was clever of her, choosing father instead. No one would judge her harshly for making the strategic choice with her marriage. No one but me, I suppose, and who cares what I think about it. Oh, Father, I don't want to pity you. You were a good man, lived a good life, had a great love and a daughter. I hope I at least made you proud, and I pray happy. You deserved so much, and it seems she gave you so little. Perhaps I shouldn't say such things. I know you loved her. I just don't think she loved you enough. And so much as I don't want to, I pity you. I can't see how you could have made a different life, not after meeting and falling in love with mother, but I half wish you had had the chance of true happiness and true love, the kind of love Hareton and I have, the kind of love she could never have given you. I'm sorry, Papa. 
And as for Heathcliff, all of what I know I have had to piece together from my father's minimal stories regarding him. Hareton's memories, although he never shared much either as he didn't like to think on it, and my own interactions with the man. Nothing of his story is very pleasant. He was my mother's playmate, an adopted sibling, but also, from my understanding, some sort of childhood sweetheart. They loved each other deeply and until the ends of both their lives. I know that much. He hated my father as a rival, and hated me as his rival's daughter and the only surviving Catherine Linton. When I met him only a few years ago, he put on such a kind face and treated me so well, but only at first, to make me trust him. He was an extremely manipulative and cunning man. He seemed to be happy mistreating others and making everyone around him, everyone who entered his life for even just a moment, completely miserable. For that's what I was too, for the mercifully short time that our lives overlapped. I don't like to think of him. It's just this room and this feeling I have inside me. It dredges up all of these memories and reflections of people who are long gone. Once Heathcliff had died and Hareton and I were engaged, everything up until then just seemed like a dream from another time. When we first got married, it seemed like everything was solved. All our demons had disappeared and we finally had a place to call home. Hareton has always been so incredibly sweet to me. Right from the early days when we would read together in two seats by the fire, taking turns so that he would read one chapter and I the next. The old hound laying at our feet and midwinter storms raging outside the windows. Then holding hands as we made our way upstairs to bed. And those first few months of being in bed beside him. Exciting, joyful, terrifying and new at first, but then intimate and comfortable. Easy. And then spring came, along with long walks or rides along the moors. I remember the first time he picked a flower and wove it into the hair behind my ear. Such a simple gesture, but I was nearly destroyed by the love behind it. But now, can something so wonderful grow so stagnant? And after only a year, his love for me hasn't waned and neither has mine for him, but I just don't know if this is the life for me. Earnshaw women have never been very good at marriage. How did this happen? How did this become the state of my life? I was happy as young Kathy Linton, living with father and having the freedom to do as I chose and roam where I liked. Father's only restriction was the sight of Wuthering Heights. At the time, I could not understand his animosity. But that, being the only boundary for my otherwise limitless liberty, should have been enough to keep me safe. But damn her, Mother Catherine's curiosity got the better of me and her both. I couldn't just leave this place be and ignore the sad occupants who lived here, including Hareton, I suppose. Has our tenuous happiness turned out to be worth it? Perhaps. Could I have found a better man somewhere in town? Likely not. Damn. And damn again, my head's all a mess now. Who am I? Kathy Linton? Kathy Earnshaw? I don't know anymore. I'm mostly content. 
That's something, at least. My life is perfectly fine, perfectly orderly and pleasant, and I want for nothing. Except for a bit of freedom, I suppose. But what does that mean, really? What do you want, Kathy? Well, you frustrating, frustrating woman. You want to run around like a child on the moors? That's what you want? Then go! For heaven's sake, nobody's stopping you. Goodness knows Hareton wouldn't. He would come out of doors to watch you and cheer you. Maybe he would join, assuming he was in the right mood for the revelry. Is that not it? That's not what you want? Then what is it? Damn! Damn! I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know who I am. I just don't know. She returns to the diary and reads. If I were in heaven, I should be extremely miserable. I dreamt once that I was there, but heaven did not seem to be my home, and I broke my heart with weeping to come back to earth. And the angels were so angry that they flung me out into the middle of the heath on the top of Wuthering Heights, where I woke sobbing for joy. That will do to explain my secret as well as the other. I've no more business to marry Edgar Linton than I have to be in heaven. But it would degrade me to marry Heathcliff now, so he shall never know how I love him. And that not because he's handsome, but because he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. And Linton's is as different as a moonbeam from lightning or frost from fire. That's precisely how my soul feels, except different. It's as if my own soul is both moonbeam and lightning, frost and fire. I feel so torn. Not broken, but split, divided. I don't want to leave my life, but I can't continue living it. Not like this. Not with this vague sort of contentment that will never blossom into joy or happiness or excitement. Back when Heathcliff died, we were both so satisfied to settle in and leave the excitement and horror behind us. But now we've lost something. We've lost the adventure that we both dreamed would come of our lives. Funny. I suppose that's exactly what happened with Mother. She lost something of herself when she married Father. She seemed to know, or at least predict as much. And yet she went ahead with it. For reasons I can only really guess at. Who knows if things would have turned out better if she had refused Father's proposal and chosen to spend her life as Heathcliff's bride instead. Perhaps her destiny would have been the same. Although, mine would never have existed, so that's something. She flips through the diary, reading and skimming the occasional page. Catherine Heathcliff, Catherine Earnshaw, Linton, Heathcliff, Heathcliff, Heathcliff. She flips rapidly through the rest of the book, then notices a loose sheet of paper sticking out of one end of the back pages. She takes it out and unfolds it. Meanwhile, there is a muffled sound of wind blowing against the window, the occasional flash of lightning and clap of thunder, and perhaps the tapping of a tree branch against the glass. She notices, but then goes back to the page in her hand. Kathy, I hope you are pleased with the results of your decision. I'm afraid that, for reasons which must be obvious to you, I am hardly in support of this, your wedding day. What a fool you are, Kathy, what a damn fool. 
You must know that Edgar could never make you happy. No, I have misspoken. Happy is exactly what he will make you. Happy and simple and dumb, like himself and Isabella. For you see, or will come to see with time, that life and that house will only take you over and destroy what you are. The little demon will disappear, and you will be stuck in your role of the pathetic wife. It is not the life for you. I know this, and you will learn. You told the servant Nelly that it would degrade you to marry me. Oh, I heard. You must know that none of your secrets stay yours alone for long. I am unworthy of your affection now, am I? You are crass and cruel, Kathy, and though we are the same, there is one part of our collective soul which is very split between us. That is the part of you that would have us torn apart. That, dear Catherine, is beyond anything my demon spirit would allow. I would not have us living our lives so distant and would never hurt you as you have hurt me. Remember this. You struck out first against me and I will not be blamed for any further actions of my own. With all the happiest wishes on this, your wedding day, here it is. My letter of farewell. Heathcliff. She puts the letter down. There seems to be a light scratching sound coming from the window. She doesn't notice, or if she does, it is only a slight distraction. What a man. What an awful, hurting man. I knew he hated father, but somehow never realized it was their marriage that was the cause. It makes sense, I suppose. Doesn't excuse the mania of his actions, but men and women have often made fools of themselves after a heartbreak. If that's what you can call it, even if you see no evidence of a heart in place. No, I shouldn't make light. He was horrible, but I suppose this proves he was only a man after all. A lonely, abandoned, angry man. Explains why he hated me as well. Or at least why he used me to hurt father, kidnapping me away and holding me hostage here while my father was sick and dying. Beating Hareton and treating him like a servant. And becoming angry with me when I tried to show the boy some kindness. Well, at least that part of his cruelty didn't work. It only brought Hareton and I closer as allies, allowing our relationship to grow into what it is now. Not that I give Heathcliff much credit, but Hareton and I thrived regardless of that man's actions. She tucks the letter back into the book and places the book back on the windowsill. Heathcliff, you rogue, I see it now. I can see everything so clearly. Why she loved you and your wildness. You brought out something in her that was pure and bold. Something that before your arrival had stayed hidden, or at the least it was indulged far less by the family. But then you spoiled it. You wrecked everything by assuming that you owned her. That you alone were responsible for her spirit, rather than simply being a bad influence. You sought to capture the untamable. It was your pride. Your bizarre sense of righteousness that destroyed you. You turned cold and harsh at my mother's rejection, and it serves you right. You're a bastard. No, you are, were a bastard in law as in mind. Just a wicked person without a soul. In fact, I'm sure it couldn't be you haunting this room. What spirit did you leave behind for the haunting? I'm mad. I must be. I've never spoken like this in my life. Thrilling. Sinful. I'm taking my own frustration and confusion out on the dead. I must get out of here. <laughs> I don't even know what I mean by that. 
Is it this room, this land of the dead, that I need to free myself from? Or something larger? Some part of my life, or the whole? I haven't told Hareton about the baby. Imagine this. A woman rides herself into town early on a Thursday while her husband goes out to check on the property. She ducks around the servants and lets no one see her as she sneaks into the stable and pulls her horse out from its stall. She rides across the moors, looking behind her constantly to be sure no one has seen or followed or suspected. Then, when she makes it to town, she checks herself in with the doctor, in secret. Through the side entrance, gen entrance generally reserved for visits of an unhappy, unexpected, or unwanted nature. Why did I do this? I honestly couldn't say. After a year of marriage, people were all expecting this to come eventually, including myself, and including Hareton. In fact, I think it was something he was rather excited for. A little Hareton or Kathy running around the heights. What a joyful thought. What an amazing opportunity to expand ourselves and make a little family out of our partnership. When I suspected, though, I couldn't stand the idea of the happy look that would come into his eyes. Of course, I felt horrible for this hesitation, for not running to him instantly, for us to take off quickly for the doctor together, and for keeping such potentially pleasing news from him. But I wasn't pleased. I was instantly afraid and ashamed and restless. That feeling, restlessness. My mother felt it, and I felt it before, just not like this. The sound of wind outside seems to ebb and flow, just slightly reflecting Kathy's thought process. That was two weeks ago, that doctor's visit. I had suspected beforehand, but that confirmation was wrenching. I felt, just for a moment, as if I was facing all ruin of my person. It's ridiculous for that to be the first feeling to come to me, and the doctor's expression at seeing my face reflected this, causing me to force my mouth into a smile. It seemed, though, as if all the unsatisfied and restless churning inside of me had grown in that moment and threatened to overwhelm me. I thanked the doctor, nodding at his advice for my health, which I hadn't heard, and raced back to the heights, where I immediately collapsed into bed, where Hareton found me when he came back to the house before supper time. I told him I had been feeling lightheaded, which was not exactly false, and he cooed and put a hand on my head, stroking my hair back in a charming, gentle, and heartbreaking gesture of affection. I almost thought he guessed at my, our, situation. But then I had to hold back a sad fountain of laughter when he asked if I would like for him to contact the doctor. No, no, I'll be quite all right. I'll be down for supper in a moment, darling. And I was, and things were fine. Later that night, we sat by the fire, finalizing plans for the party tonight, celebrating the turn of the year and a year of our marriage gone by, a happy occasion. So what a perfect day to tell Hareton our news. Darling, happy New Year's. And darling, by this time next year, we shall be a family of three. What a joyous day. He would laugh, and tears would appear in his eyes behind those thick black lashes, and he would lift me and twirl me in the air before becoming delicate and letting me back down to earth and settling me in a seat by the fire with a cup of tea and one of the dogs protecting my feet. I'm an awful wife. I know I am, 
for not telling him, for not being as happy at this news as I imagine I should be, for not being as happy with this life as I should be. I have to leave. No, you see, it's not an illogical idea, not a bit. If a single happy year together is all I have for him, then I must away now, before ruining all that we have had up until now. He deserves the memories of a happy marriage, if a short one. We both do. For my urge to run wild only gets stronger. It's been growing in me my whole life, and the past year, goodness, the past month or so especially, things have only been getting worse. I can't live like this. I can't be kept in this house, in this trap, any longer. I won't do it. I will drive Hareton and myself and our unborn child to madness and darkness and cruelty. We will become the specters of our forebears. I cannot and will not become Catherine Reborn. I am enough like her already, but can only imagine reliving the horror of her life. The pain she and Heathcliff seem to put to everyone else in their lives. I can't be made the means of bringing Hareton down to that fiend's level, which is, I am sure, what he will become should I follow in Catherine's footsteps, growing madder and wilder with this feeling of entrapment. Damn. Damn her. Damn him. Damn us all. We are accursed people. I'm sorry, Hareton, but this is not the life you chose, and it is not a life I would force upon you. I must go, for your sake and mine, and the child. I don't know how to best save the child. Give her away, I suppose. The doctor would help, I'm sure of it. He's done so, supposedly, for women in the past. Helped to discreetly find a family. Or, if not, there are other doctors, in other cities, in countries far from here. I'll have to pretend to be widowed, probably. I won't be accepted otherwise, pregnant and traveling alone. And though I'm loath to accept charity, it would garner me sympathy and hospitality should I need either. I'll have to leave a note. Try to give Hareton at least some idea of why I have done what I've done. Not mention the baby, of course. It would destroy him. But leave him with some assurance that this is something I've decided by myself, for myself. This wildness is a part of me. Oh, please, let him understand that there is nothing he could have done better or differently. She rips an empty page from Catherine's diary and settles down to write. She reads aloud while writing, taking long breaths throughout and occasionally scratching through something or changing her mind partway through a thought. Darling Hareton, I am so sorry for this letter to befall you so soon after our wonderful New Year's party. I have left, and I can't explain to you precisely why. Not here on a page, but neither could I in person, face to face. However, I feel I must, at the least, leave you with the assurance that this action I undertake is not due to your behavior or to your treatment of me. You have been a marvelous husband, and I only wish I could have been a better partner to you. I am simply not made for this life we've been living, as charming, as lovely as it is. I cannot stay here and remain happy and human. I am breaking free, and although painful, I believe it is a necessary break. She scratches something out. Hmm. I cannot stay here and remain happy and human. I can't. These words accomplish nothing. 
How can I possibly leave Hareton with any assurance when I myself am sure of nothing? I've lost something of myself here. I thought we could turn this place into something different, some place full of happiness and joy. But clearly that was not to be. Not for me, anyway. I'm afraid that I could never, will never, be truly happy with anyone, not even him, although he had always seemed so perfect to me before. It's not that being alone makes me any happier, really, but at least then I am free. Free and unhappy rather than trapped and discontent. An animal, when trapped, will eventually bite and claw and attack even the most loving owner. Oh, Hareton, I don't mean to suggest you think you own me. But still, I am most definitely trapped. I am in a cage of convention. Both of us are stuck in it. I'm afraid my escape is the only way to free us both. I just don't see another way. No note, then. She removes a clip from her hair and sets it on the windowsill with a kiss. Poor baby. Looks like you'll have to stay with me for a while. Just you and me. Two independent spirits on the run. Your life is going to be a great adventure, I promise. I just don't think I can guarantee anything else right now. Your mum will have to be enough for you. And then when you're older, I'll start telling you all about your father. Nope. Nope, Kathy, don't think of it. Put that aside for now. Put him aside and move forward. For now. She starts to leave out the door, but then pauses, turns back, and rips out a second sheet from the journal. Writing. I'm sorry, Hareton. I'm so, so sorry. She puts the paper under the hairpin on the windowsill and falls to her knees, head bent to the ground, crying, I'm sorry. The sound of the wind gets louder and the windowsill rattles. As the sound and movement increase, Kathy lifts her head to look, then lays her hand against the vibrating windowpane. Suddenly, the window flies open and Kathy is thrown backwards into the room. The wind blows throughout the space, definitely heard, preferably felt and rain blows into the room by the open window. Kathy sits stunned for a moment, then hurries to the window, trying and failing to get it shut. Then we hear the voice, let me in, let me in. It starts subtly, almost dis- disguised by the noise of the storm, but then repeats, growing louder, let me in, let me in. Kathy continues to struggle with the window. No, no, stay out, stay away. Voice, I've, he- I've been away for 20 years. I had lost my way on the moors. Let me in. I won't stay away. Voice. My name is Catherine Earnshaw. I've lost my way. Let me in. Please, let me in. Kathy backs away from the window. The howling wind and rain continue, but the voice quiets somewhat, still crying, let me in. No. No, this isn't real. I've gotten myself into such a state, I'm hearing things. I'm speaking to a ghost. I'm standing here in the middle of the night and speaking to my dead mother. It's terrible, all because of that damn book and this bloody window. And what do I care if the wind blows into this room? I'm leaving this place, and no one enters here besides. Let it all blow away. Every trace of mother, of Heathcliff, and of me. Go on. Go on. Blow away. Blow us all away. The shrieking wind rises to a crescendo, and calls of let me in rise with it. Yes. Come in. Come on in, mother. Kathy, you are welcome. Enter if you please, it hardly matters to me anymore. 
turn me into something wild. Carry me on your back across the moors where you used to run and teach me to be free. Oh, Mum, I want to be free. All I want is to be free. Amidst the howling of the wind, Kathy starts to spin, her arms stretched out and her head rolling around her neck. Let me in! Let me in! Let me in! Kathy collapses to the floor. The wind continues but starts to wane. The voice fades into silence. The room is dark but for a feeble ray of moonlight and the occasional bout of thunder and lightning, which are lessening. As the storm passes, the moonlight grows stronger, gradually light lightening up the room. After a few moments, Kathy starts to groan and move and rolls over. With another groan, she puts a hand on her stomach. Oh, how? Damn it. She struggles up into a sitting position. Are you still in there? Damn, what's the time? My light's gone out. Is that the moon or the sun out there? The storm has passed, but it must still be night. And is that the continuing sound of revelry from downstairs? She checks out the door, carefully. Yes. Damn, still people buzzing around down there. Oh, will you ever go home? She closes the door and moves to the window. Oh, what a moon. And what air. Oh, to be out in the wild on a night like this. Heaven could not be sweeter. Don't you agree, Mother? She looks around the room. Funny. All this time you've longed to be in here, and all I want is to be out there. You know, if you had been stuck here all this time, you would be no happier than I am now. Foolish ghost. A cage is still a cage, even if it is a familiar one. Although, no. No more of this back and forth. There's nothing left to argue myself over. Nothing for me to do but leave. Just imagine, though. The life we could live, just you and me, little one. Oh, I hope that you're a girl. I'll raise you to be as free and wild as you please, and protect you from the dangers that befell Mother. We could be two women on the run from the whole world. And now go, Kathy. Go. She widens the window opening and carefully steps one leg through, then the other. She reaches for the book and throws it through before her, watching it fall to the ground below. Come on, Mum. It's time. Oh, you too, baby Catherine. If you're still all right in there. With one hand on her stomach, the other holding the windowsill, she looks briefly at the spot where she had collapsed. Here we go, then. She slides out through the window and makes her way down to the ground outside. Out of sight, we hear her descent.